and welcome to Shameless, the celebrity and pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello! Coming up on today's show, the Fleetwood Mac and Cranberry Juice TikTok that's exploded online. Then, the Bachelorette's relevancy problem and what to make of the rumours that Naya Rivera's ex-husband and sister have become romantically linked in the wake of her death. And finally, two Daily Mail stories were published on the weekend that epitomise absolutely everything that is grotesquely wrong with the Daily Mail. But first, Michelle, how was your week? I don't really have anything to tell you about my week, as we have said with every single (laughs) episode we've ever done in lockdown. But I have two recommendations. So shall I just get into them? Yeah, why not? Okay. My first recommendation is to go watch A Life on Our Planet by David Attenborough. I do really actually very much want to watch this. I have seen <laughs> remarkable feedback online, like actual genuine feedback from genuine David Attenborough fans who have, who have filmed themselves watching it. Do you regret kind of going on that odd tirade nah. about David Attenborough nah. bandwagoners? Do you know no? how much support I've had in my DMs? I know I sound like... Um, <laughs> Whatever. Who do I sound like? Oh, God, I sound like J.K. Rowling who makes like a bad opinion <laughs> and then says like I've had a, a mountain of private support. <laughs> Um, no, I don't at all. I still agree with it. But I will also acknowledge this looks really good in a kind of horrifying way. You know what it's great for? It's great for a night in front of the television if you and your partner can't figure out what to watch. Mitch put this on on Tuesday night and it was a bit of like a curveball for him. I didn't pick him to be a David fan, but perhaps there are plenty of closeted David fans out there, Zara, that you are railing against and Mitchell Rees is one of them. He put this on and it was so powerful. Like it was such a beautiful watch, a very disarming and concerning watch, given that the human race might be like, you know, a bit extinct soon, but it galvanized me. And I think it galvanizes everyone who watches it to kind of take action and take this stuff seriously. And I'm not going to lie. I watched the documentary and then I retrospectively hated the segment we did on him a few weeks ago. Cause I was like, how the fuck did we not say climate change once? How the fuck did we not talk about the need to rewild the world once in a whole segment about David Attenborough? So anyone who is frustrated by that, I'll put my hand up and say, you're right. I'm frustrated with myself because what a documentary. It is so important and I urge everyone to go watch it on Netflix. Yeah, I actually am really looking forward to watching this because I I mean, I have a feeling I'm putting it off a little bit because as we've said in the last few weeks, the last few weeks here in Melbourne feels particularly dark and I don't know how much mm. human darkness I can genuinely take, like how much more dystopian stuff I can consume, but it's definitely on my list. Like I feel like it's a a weekend afternoon task that I should do this weekend maybe. Yeah. And I mean, I know it's dark and obviously it's tricky to grapple with the reality of what we've done to the world. Yeah. But in true David form, it is uplifting and it is hopeful in the latter half of the documentary. So it won't be like a depressing watch for you. If anything, it'll be something that just makes you want to take this stuff more seriously. I will also argue against myself as well, because there is also nothing I hate more than people trying to say they don't want to consume content around stuff like climate change because it's too depressing and it's too Mm. much to take on. I don't think it will ever stop me. I just want to be in the right headspace. But I do think it's something that a lot of us use to ignore the reality of what's happening in the world when we really should be informed about it. 
So I promise you it will be on my list. Absolutely. My other recommendation from this week, I actually posted about this on my personal Instagram stories throughout the week. I read a news report that important cancer checks, like routine cancer checks, have plummeted in 2020. Mm. So breast cancer checks, prostate checks, pap smears, everything under the sun has plummeted in 2020. And I think it's really important to remind our listeners to not only take care of their own health and to be making sure that they're getting those important checkups, but also that they're reminding their parents. I know that the bowel cancer screening test that is sent out to every Australian once they turn 50 and then every two years after that is a daunting one and a bit of an awkward one, but I urge all of you to check in with your parents today that they have sent that bowel cancer screening test back. Less than 50% of Australians sent it back last year. So I shudder to think what percentage of Australians are doing it in 2020 if we've already seen such like drastic declines. Yeah, it's a bit of a scary thing to think about, isn't it? That the impact of the pandemic may well be felt in years to come when a lot of people mm. are starting to realise that really aggressive forms of cancer that went undiagnosed this year because we just felt too busy or too much of a nuisance to check them out might find themselves you know rearing their heads in a few years so I absolutely echo that thought if you have something that you've been putting off getting checked out get it checked out now take this as your sign if you will exactly exactly skin cancer checks pap smears I know that I am one who tends to delay my pap smears so Mm. please go get one I know it's uncomfortable but you'll never regret getting it done so go do it today How was your week, Zara McDonald? I mean, much the same as yours. I feel like (laughs) the one thing that might epitomize my week is that I got a bit bored this week and I fell in love with, this is a weird story, I fell in love with Flex Mommy's branded chicken salt quite a few months ago. (laughs) Flex Mommy in her store used to sell chicken salt and I ran out this week. So I bought the same type of chicken salt. I found the supplier and bought it online, but they only had like one kilo buckets on eBay. So now I have one kilo bucket of chicken salt sitting right next to me because it's just arrived from the postman. And I've looked at it and I've wondered how anyone could possibly (laughs) get through this entire thing of chicken salt in their lifetime. Do you think there's a healthier alternative to chicken salt? I feel like on like the hierarchy of foods why chicken need, salt is pretty why do we far need down. healthy alternatives all the time <laughs> give me the bad things no i'm kidding that's terrible given our last topic of conversation i'm very glad for you though you'll be eating lots of chippies i know lots of chippies because i'm gonna have to get through it so i'll keep everyone updated on how i'm you know making an indent on my one <laughs> kilo thing of chicken salt the thing i want to recommend this week michelle is probably a huge cheetah move I say, mm-hmm. because I want to pre-recommend the In Conversation episode we are going to drop on Thursday. I don't know if I should yes. tell people who it's with or not. Should I clickbait or non-clickbait? Let's give a clue. I'm curious just to put you on the spot and see what clue you'd come up with. She is one of the most successful female British authors of the last couple of years. Yes, good one. I think lots of people are going to get it. I reckon too. And so <laughs> last Friday night, Mish and I, it was about 7, 7.30 mm-hmm. our time here because of the time difference in the UK. It was about the only time we could set up. And I have to say, you're never going into a 7.30 p.m. on a Friday work arrangement, bouncing with joy, shall I say. Mm -hmm. Michelle, I don't think that's unfair. It had been a long week. I was a bit like, ugh. But we walked into that conversation and I just felt like it was Friday night therapy almost. Like I felt like it was one of the easiest conversations that we've ever had on this podcast. I mean, breaking the fourth wall a little bit. Sometimes when you're doing in conversation episodes with people, the, the conversations have to be really firmly structured 
structured. You kind of have to direct them as you go. A lot of the time that we're in those interviews, we're thinking about how we can kind of get to the story that we want to tell. We are really meticulous about how we go about that. But with this, it kind of felt like one of the more genuine conversations where we could kind of just sit back and ask the questions that were on our mind and have a really authentic, genuine conversation. So I am just really excited to push that out because I felt much calmer and much happier for having that conversation. So I'm really Absolutely. excited. To put it in context for our loyal listeners who know I'm a mad Richmond supporter, this conversation was happening while the Richmond semi-final <laughs> was on and I was entranced. Like I did not care that I was missing out on the footy and missing out on an elimination final at that. So I definitely back that recommendation. I'm so stoked this person came on our podcast because they are a seminal reason that you and I found ourselves in podcasting. Absolutely. Tell me, who have we got on our hotline this week? We have another Zara who needs to talk to you about something you said on the podcast last week. (laughs) Hi, Zara and Michelle. My name is Zara. I wanted to send you guys a voicemail to send my appreciation for the Zed rant that Zara went on in your last podcast. I could not have felt it to my core any more than I did. I remember when I was in primary school, my teacher used to go down the roll one by one and say goodbye to every student individually. And of course, being Zara, I was always the last to leave. It frustrated me so much that by the time I got out of the classroom, all my friends were already playing on the playground. So thank you so much for the Zed shout out and sending love to all the other Zeds out there. Zara, Zara, Zara. It is so (laughs) rare that I meet other Zaras as well. So I'm so excited. Zara, welcome to the podcast. (laughs) Zara here. It is. It is absolutely one of the great tragedies of being named a name in the the latter half of the alphabet and no one's talking about it. A great tragedy, you think? It's a great tragedy. What is the time frame between the like Allisons of the world being let out into the playground compared (laughs) to the Zaras of the world? Maybe 30 seconds. You you must know though in primary school every single second counts if you're out of the loop if they're on the other side of the fucking oval and you can't find them you don't want to be the loser walking up asking to join I do have a privilege I need to check my privilege I'm an Andrews and often these roles were done by last names anyway so I was always the first one to be called out so I don't have a whole lot of sympathy for you I am so sorry I do also have an update for the listeners on this naming debacle that came about with our book last week for those who haven't listened Last week, I confronted Zara about why the fuck our book is only credited to her name on Booktopia and (laughs) Dimmicks and libraries and everywhere under the sun. Basically, if you search the space between, it comes up with by Zara McDonald and I'm just forgotten about. It was like doing a group uni project and getting none of the credit for any of my work. (laughs) Anyway, a very helpful listener reached out this week and explained it to me, Zara. The reason my name has been kicked off labels is because there is another- no one liked your stuff. The writing was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) That's- No, I'm not kidding though. Part of me was thinking in the lead up to this, like seeing your name everywhere, being like, is that because they don't want my name attached to it? Have I done something where they're like, don't put Michelle Andrews' name near this. Zara McDonald's rep is way better. That's one of those irrational existential things that you create in your own head without even realising how nuts it sounds when you say it out loud. It's an anxiety thing, like 110%. Anyway, the reason is there is another book called The Space Between that was written in another country by a different Michelle. (laughs) So to avoid confusion, people are putting Zara McDonald on because there's no way that they're going to mix up the two Michelles who have both written a book called The Space Between. Basically, every book title you can come up with has already been written. So there you go. We picked someone else's book title, Zara. Isn't that really rare 
I guess. I mean, you told me that and I was like, that seems quite unlikely, but how, how, how nice. We should go and meet up with this other space between Michelle. We really, really should. Anyway, let's get on to our first segment today. We need to talk about the TikTok that is everywhere right now. <laughs> so I'm actually a quite a big TikToker these days. I'm on the TikTok Shut bandwagon. Up. I post You stuff. are not a TikToker. You are a shit talker. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm a shit talker. But I post stuff that goes viral. Um, no, you don't. And I don't actually at all. I'm so bad at TikTok. <laughs> but one of my favorite parts of this week, Mish, was seeing probably one of the most viral TikToks I've seen in a long time. And it was a particularly random TikTok to go viral. Yeah, it was. Look, if you're not on TikTok, this is basically a mashup of Fleetwood Mac's dreams with a very tranquil skateboarder and a jug of cranberry juice. That is basically the crux of what's going on. The video has been posted by Nathan Apodaca. His username is my favourite thing in the world, 420dogface208. (laughs) (laughs) So we're not going to call him Nathan. We're 110% going to refer to him as (laughs) 420dogface. He was skateboarding down the road listening to Fleetwood Mac's dreams and drinking a bottle of ocean spray cranberry juice. Do not ask me why. Somehow this video has now had 40 million views and 10 million likes. I think when you say it out loud, it sounds like quite a simple video put together. But what the listeners who haven't seen this video must understand is Michelle's first phrase, which was tranquil skateboarder. He was so (laughs) calm. And like skateboarding is pretty hard at the best of times. He was in the middle of a fucking highway. He was going so <laughs> calmly, singing in line with the music and just sculling this cranberry juice. It seemed to be like the mood that everybody needed. A little bit of background on the video as well. Obviously, as every viral star says, I just didn't expect it to blow up in the way that it did. <laughs> the reason that he was on his skateboard was that his car battery had died on the way to his job at a potato factory. So he grabbed his longboard to make the trip seeing the opportunity for a tiktok of course michelle he lip-synced stevie nick's first verse and he wrote he was like apparently he was rolling down like an off-ramp but it looked like a highway didn't it it looked like he was in the middle of a fucking freeway it really did and i love your comment earlier saying skateboarding's not easy at the best of times if you're some like skateboarding aficionado i can't skateboard for shit but it is such a good tiktok like this has gone absolutely bananas so mick fleetwood of course from fleetwood mac posted his own version with the caption 420 Dogface had it right dreams and cranberry just hits different his video has 10 million views dr phil shared his own version he was on a golf buggy drinking cranberry juice he wrote afternoon vibe as his caption and his video has 10.5 million views even and i think this is the hero of this story not just 420 Dogface, is the ceo of ocean spray who then got on the bandwagon joined tiktok posted his own video of skateboarding and drinking ocean spray and he's now got two million views as well i have an unpopular opinion about these copycat videos because you're right the ceo of ocean spray did post his own video so did the governor of idaho mike cooney he popped out of his own sunroof and drank from his own bottle of ocean spray and part of me is just like can all all these dorky middle-aged men stop Aww. trying to jump on a bandwagon that's viral because they dorky it up. Don't you think they dorky it up? The governor. What's it with you picking niche bandwagons to like <laughs> slam? Just fucking get over yourself. Boy, it's the middle of <laughs> lockdown. You've got to find some passion somewhere. Mike Cooney issued a statement about his TikTok. 
That's how dorky it is. He issued a statement saying, you've got to make time to have some fun on the campaign trail. And I'm thankful that Mr. Apodaca gave us all an opportunity to jam some Fleetwood Mac and have a viral moment. Tell me that hasn't dorkied up this whole trend. I mean, no, I love it. I can't believe that you're so anti, like this is how TikTok works, number one. Someone sets the trend and people follow it. I I think the fact that this middle-aged men, it's like dad-like figures doing it makes it even better. Also, are you implying Mick Fleetwood is like too old and too daggy to participate in his own songs trend? Okay, I appreciate now you're starting to accuse me of being ageist, which seems deeply unfair. (laughs) And I actually probably will start retracting my statements because I don't care that much. And I really don't want this to be the hill that I die on. And I can't can't be fucked tilling with the million voicemails of this becoming a thing. So I retract it all. What a beautiful trend. I did want to note and read out one thing, Michelle, is that, of course, Mr. Apodaca did an interview with the New York Times because what else do you do when you become viral or a viral sensation? Mm-hmm. And his quote was one of my favorites. He said, it's just a video on TikTok that everyone felt a vibe with. I'm happy that I could chill the world out for a minute. <laughs> he really did, though. This is a funny thing. And I said earlier in this segment that the CEO of Ocean Spray is the true hero of this story. Because what I love is how Ocean Spray capitalized on this. I hate to make it like marketing spin, but they were fucking smart to do this. So after seeing this video gain, I think at the time it was 20 million views, Ocean Spray went and bought 420 Dogface a car and filled it with Ocean Spray and filmed the whole thing and made it this like big media event. So they invited all these newspapers, televisions, crews, everything to watch them give this cranberry colored truck to this man who doesn't have a car. And that's the whole reason he was skateboarding to work in the first place. They turned this into a media story. They made it a headline that you and I can talk about. And I don't even fucking like cranberry juice. Well, I think the thing about cranberry juice is that any woman listening to this will only ever associate cranberry juice <laughs> with the trend of UTI. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, where are all the women skateboarding down roads, guzzling cranberry juice because they've got a UTI? Like, where is that trend? We fucking need to start that trend. That's a more important trend. That's literally all I can think of with cranberry juice. And the only reason I fucking know Ocean Spray cranberry juice, which is so sad. Anyway. <laughs> On a more serious note, though, I do love how much power TikTok has. And I think it is incredible what this one social media app can do with these really short and sharp videos. So Dreams by Fleet. Would Mac surge to number nine on the US Spotify charts, listening to the track increased by 127% worldwide, as well as a 242% increase in people listening to the song for the very first time, according to a Spotify statement to the media. Wow, I didn't even know that there were people in the world that had never heard that song before. So this is an even better stat from this segment. Yeah, well, TikTok people are like, what, 12 years old? So they're like, <laughs> what is this new funky track? <laughs> A big shout out before we wrap this up to 420 Dogface. I'm so glad to see in his TikTok bio, he now has a manager called Gina. So if anyone's interested and wants to collab, please do reach out, Zara. (laughs) Coming up after the break, what is arguably the Daily Mail's worst weekend on record? But first a word from today's sponsor. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. Every week we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Zara, Chicken Salt McDonald, what have you got for me? (laughs) 
it's not bad. No, it's not bad at all. My first story. Mindy Kaling casually reveals she gave birth to a baby boy last month. That is from Vulture. I appreciate, Michelle, that this is a niche brand of celebrity story, The Secret Pregnancy, but The Secret Pregnancy's got to be my favourite, I reckon. I have so much respect for people who carry off secret pregnancies, and Mindy Kaling has done it twice. So for those who missed it, the actress announced the arrival of her second child, a boy named Spencer, on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert on Thursday night. I can't believe she managed this, not just this, but that she's always maintained her privacy to a level where no one knows the paternity of her children. Well, didn't she keep her the name of the father off the birth certificate of her first child, yes. at least anyway, just to protect the baby and the baby's father and her family, which I really, really respect. I can't imagine how difficult it must be to hide a nine-month pregnancy from prying eyes. Maybe made a bit easier in 2020 when no one's leaving their house, but still. Yeah, well, apparently there were pap shots showing a baby bump, but we only know it's a baby bump in hindsight. So yeah. I'm actually really happy like we rarely give the media a bit of like a hat tip or anything but I am quite chuffed that no one wrote these like gross articles about her body when she didn't announce it like she was papped but there weren't any really like salacious yuck articles written about those photos yeah that is good although I think we're about to go to town on the media soon so might as well give them a hat (laughs) tip before we do that congratulations though to Mindy Kaling my second story Ellie and Becky's season of The Bachelorette Australia has had the lowest ratings on record so far that is from Marie Claire. Hmm. Are we surprised? I've got to say, I hate being negative about this. I always want to be positive about, I don't know, bachelorette seasons and women in the public eye. And don't get me wrong, I have nothing against Ellie and Becky Miles. I think they're like delightful women. But I am not surprised that this is the lowest rating season of The Bachelorette so far. We said this, I think, a couple of months ago when they were announced as The Bachelorettes, that It just feels a bit weird. Yeah, so according to Mumbrella, reports say that Ellie and Becky's first episode drew in an audience of 628,000 viewers, which is, as we said, the lowest number on record. If you want to compare those numbers to Angie Kent's season, she drew in 716,000 viewers on premiere night. So there is quite a difference. I do have to agree with you, Mish. I think there's something about this season that hasn't quite landed yet. It may well in the ensuing Mm. episodes, but I do wonder if... If Ellie Miles was on the show too long ago and we've forgotten about her heartbreak because as Mm. a lot of people know because of lockdown this year, The Bachelor was filming right up to the minute that The Bachelorette was filming. I think I've heard that there was almost like a day between Mm. when The Bachelor finished filming and The Bachelorette started filming, which means they couldn't actually pick someone from this season of The Bachelor to be The Bachelorette, which is a tactic they have used before, Mish, with Ali Ochin, Sam Frost. You're kind of invested in the series because you've just seen their heartbroken and you want to see them find love again. Yeah, for sure. I also think like it's just too same-samesy. We have seen the same kind of women and the same kind of men be wheeled out by this program again and again. And it's not just on Ellie and Becky Miles, of course. I also think the guys that they've gotten as the contestants are pretty boring, to be blunt. Like, I don't care about really any of them. I don't find them to be (laughs) particularly (laughs) – this is so harsh. Keep going. I'm going to be stuck now. People are going to say I'm too harsh, but I'm just going to keep going because this is the hill I will die on. The casting's just not right. 
Like, please, Channel 10, reach out. I would love to help with the casting of this show. I'm telling you right now, the way to get ratings back is to mix it the fuck up and stop being so vanilla with the storylines you're putting out every year. Put out a Bi Bachelorette in 2021. Get Brooke Blurden on the show. She is incredible. Get women and men vying for her heart. Give us something new. We've been doing this for almost a decade. We're fucking tired of it. I can tell you right now, if someone from Channel 10 is listening... Brooke Blurden, she is your bachelorette, make it a bi-bachelorette season, end of discussion. Well, I do think that just on your point about the men anyway, they all seem like carbon copies of the men that have been on The Bachelorette before. Like it's almost like they've got a a really obvious formula that they're using that has maybe worked for them in the past, but I don't know. I'm so not into this season. I got a million DMs from people asking me who I was going to pick to win and I couldn't be less passionate, to be totally honest (laughs) with you. So I feel like my oracle senses are going to be so, so far off. I think maybe, I don't know, for Becky, maybe Pete. He seems like the quiet one in the corner that they might be drawing on. For Ellie, I don't really... See, it's really... so funny because, like, you're saying this name and I've watched both episodes and I have no idea who that is. Well, exactly. I I only watched the first episode, though, and I was watching because I was getting all these messages from people saying who's going to win. So I was trying to pick the person I thought was going to win. <laughs> but I, like I said, I'm not feeling much passion. For Ellie... I'm Googling. I'm not sure. I genuinely don't know. Like maybe Fraser. I would have said Fraser, Mm. but then I also heard whispers going around Brisbane that, I don't know, he might not be (laughs) acting like he's single. I'm also talking out of my ass. I don't know what I'm saying. Like these are all completely. whispers that he might not be acting like. (laughs) What have you heard? Nothing. Give us us a little something. (laughs) No, I don't have anything. All I'm saying is that's what I'll say, but I'm not passionate, which maybe means, Michelle, because last time I wasn't that passionate, some of the couples aren't together anymore i do have a feeling that whoever becky finds on this show she'll end up happily ever after with like that wouldn't surprise me i don't feel strong feelings for anyone in ali's group i feel like the tradie that she's dated in the past would probably be my front runner and if he does win again it makes me annoyed at the franchise because it's like are we just getting people on who have dated previously now yeah that's a very good point let's just wait and see shall we my third story as claudia conway continues to break news on her tiktok people are debating how to talk about her that is from insider and i've got to say claudia conway must be times person of the year in 2020 i wouldn't be surprised no she's so powerful again on TikTok. I mean, for anyone who's missed this, she is the 15-year-old daughter of former White House advisor Kellyanne Conway. Both of her parents are actually in politics. I think her dad heads up an anti-Trump movement, which is so funny because Kellyanne Conway, his wife, was a Trump advisor. And then they've got this 15-year-old daughter who is extremely progressive on TikTok. Like, what a divided household. I can't imagine how this family functions behind closed doors. Because as you say, you're right. Kellyanne Conway worked for Donald Trump. George Conway was one of the most vocal opposers of Donald Trump. And Claudia (laughs) Conway now comes along and posts TikToks just ragging on them both. Kelly Ann Conway, for those who might not be across this, resigned very recently after her daughter Claudia took to TikTok where millions of people were watching and said that she wanted to be emancipated from both her parents. So there's just so much going on here. She is kind of the people's hero, quote unquote, at the moment. And I think that's what people are struggling with, with regards to how to speak about her. I mean, Wired wrote a story this week saying Claudia Conway's TikToks can't save democracy. So I think you're when you've got a headline like that being written about you, you can't deny that you're being put on a pedestal right now to save the goddamn world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she's kind of like a whistleblower inside the Conway house. <laughs> she was the one who posted this funny TikTok being like, that's suspicious when she saw her mum coughing 
walking around the house and she basically said, I think my mum has coronavirus. What do you know? A couple days later, the entire family tests positive. Like she is a whistleblower and she's 15 years old. I I agree with you. I think it's an odd place to be in because I think there's a lot of pressure on this young woman right now. I think she's been open with the public about not always being really mentally well. And I just hope that, I mean, 15 such a tumultuous, difficult age as it is. I just hope she's all right. And I hope that she's okay in that household because that would be really hard being progressive and feeling the way she feels about the world and dealing with parents who actively oppose her views. Absolutely. And my fourth story, Ryan Dorsey is very grateful to live with Naya Rivera's sister and raise Josie together. That is from Cosmopolitan. For those who aren't across this story, very recently it has been rumoured that Naya Rivera, of course, the late Glee star's sister, has moved in with her ex-husband to help raise her son. It's also been rumoured that the two are actually together because they have been kind of papped. I don't even know if they're papped photos, Mish, or just kind of civilian photos of them mm. holding hands at, at shopping centres and things like that. And I mm. think a story like this one can naturally breed a lot of salacious gossip because it seems probably more scandalous than it is. It's really not an uncommon psychological phenomenon for people grieving to to fall in love and come together. Yeah, not at all. I mean, we saw this kind of storyline play out between Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, and his brother's widow, Hallie Biden. So Bo Biden died of aggressive cancer. By 2017, his brother and his wife were in a relationship. And I think, of course, this is really jarring to consider and it's really difficult to talk about and uncomfortable. But you're right, Zara, this does happen. And I think it's important to respect Nikayla Rivera's and Ryan Dorsey's privacy right now. They did address this in a couple of statements, just like casual statements on their Instagram a little while ago. I was interested to read that publications like Cosmopolitan took this statement to mean they were denying it because I did not pick that up from this statement and I'd love to know what the listeners think. So Nikayla Rivera wrote, showing up for my nephew, even though I can't show up for myself. I'm not concerned with the way things look because no one can see each agonizing moment we all endure. What matters most I've learned is to show compassion, not to judge others and never take a moment of life for granted. I hope you can all do the same. I mean, from where I sit, that is not a denial that she is with Ryan Dorsey. And I don't think she has to deny it. I don't think there's a problem with being with him, of course. I think they're both grieving. They're both going through something. And if they've found company in each other, then that's okay. But I was interested to read Cosmopolitan come to this like defiant stance that how dare anyone insinuate they're together because we know this happens and it's not just this couple and it's not just couples in the public eye. Well, I think it's probably a problem if we're saying how dare we assume then they're together because we're assuming it's an insult to throw around or a bad thing. I mean, individual circumstances are individual circumstances. And if, as you say, if people do find comfort and in one of the worst periods of their life together, I'm not really sure it's our place to judge. I thought that was a really beautiful statement from Nikayla. This idea of showing up for her nephew when she doesn't feel like she can even show up for herself and the fact that her priority is not public optics right now. Mm. It is for her family. So I think that's a really important story to touch on and a really important statement to read out. My fifth story is a bit silly other than all the others, Michelle. <laughs> Draco Malfoy fans can't handle that he only had 31 minutes of screen time during the entire Harry Potter saga. That is from Insider. Does that surprise you? 
I was so surprised by this. Like I read this on Twitter and just didn't believe it. I thought it was just a fake tweet. And then I looked into it and it's actually 100% accurate. So Draco Malfoy is, of course, played by Tom Felton. And I think this is a testament to what an incredible actor Tom Felton is, that he can be on 31 minutes across how many movies? Was it eight movies? Well, this was my next trivia question for you because I've got a couple, if you'll allow me. <laughs> how many hours do you think there are across the entire franchise? Oh, the list. Listeners know that maths is not my strong suit. I'm gonna say 10 hours and 31 minutes. Over the course of eight movies. Wait, fuck. No. Oh, oh my god. god. <laughs> Wait, why am I so bad at maths? Eight movies, they go for like two hours each. 16 hours. I'm gonna go beyond that though, because some of them are like three hours. I'm gonna go 18 hours, 45 minutes. Okay, better. It's actually 19 hours and 40 minutes. And what I found interesting okay. is Twitter users actually went and kind of added up the minutes of other stars as well. So mm. Draco Malfoy, as we said, had 31 minutes of screen time. Ginny Weasley had more or less than Ooh. Draco. I mean, you'd expect her to have less, but the fact you're asking me makes me think she has more. No, she has less. <laughs> she, oh. had, <laughs> she had 30 minutes and 15 seconds. McGonagall, how many minutes Ooh. do you think she had? Professor McGonagall. I'm going to go 22 minutes. 28, 45. And Neville wow. Longbottom, the last one for you. Oh, Neville, an icon of our generation. I'm go- he's, he didn't have a lot. I'm going to say 12. 28, minutes. 15. So oh, there wasn't fuck. much difference between Draco and Neville Longbottom in screen time. There you go. Harry's got a tidbit for you all. Good on Draco Malfoy. Like, I also think that he's having a bit of a resurgence, a bit of a comeback. Tom Felton's pretty hot. Yeah, he's, he's not bad, is he? <laughs> he's I think very hot. It's not said enough, to be totally honest with you. <laughs> Another great tragedy of our lifetime. (laughs) Hey, that's all I've got for you. Thank you so much. Three, two, one. Two days, two stories, two narratives that harm the way we talk about alleged abusive relationships. On Saturday, the Daily Mail published a story talking about Phoebe Burgess's lavish life, noting how much her assets are worth and how much money she spends on clothes. A day later, on Sunday, the news website published another story, this time about TV host Rosie Jacobs and what they call her booze-sodden life. So what do both women have in common? Well, last week, the Australian alleged Phoebe's ex-husband Sam had assaulted her. Meanwhile, Rosie Jacobs is currently in the process of pursuing assault charges against her former AFL-playing ex, Matt Scher. And yet, this weekend, the Daily Mail chose to focus on the lives of the women in the centre of it all, rather than the men they allege have hurt them. Mish, there's so much to unpack here across both of these stories, but let's start with Phoebe. Let's. I'm going to start with the Daily Mail headline that they've run this story under. Inside Phoebe Burgess's lavish life, a designer wardrobe cruising in a $100,000 Range Rover and a swag of sponsors for the endless selfies she posts from the family estate as her split from Sam gets even messier. Now, I was shocked when I saw this on my news feed and I think this headline, particularly inside Phoebe Burgess's lavish life, is very loaded so loaded, particularly given what we know has just emerged in the last week. Yeah, so for those who haven't listened to our episode last week or who want a little recap, last week an extensive report was published in the Australian newspaper detailing alleged drug use and violence from former Rabbitoh star Sam Burgess. 
Phoebe's father, Mitch Hook, gave the paper really harrowing quotes about a time he said he witnessed Sam Burgess assaulting his heavily pregnant daughter. He said to the paper, you could tell she was in pain. She was inconsolable. She was crying. There was this wail. You can't describe it. As a father, I can't think of anything that was more traumatic in my life. If anyone who is a father or mother and hears their child let out that wail, it was deep and came from right down inside. It was utter fear and traumatized like nothing I've ever heard. I will never, ever forget it. And that was a week ago, Mish, that that story broke. A week later, we have a story, as you say, detailing her clothes, her lavish life. And that lead photo for me was one of the most, I mean, there is a million elements that I'll pull out of this story Mm. that I absolutely detest, but photos tell a lot. And news websites will use photos to kind of pull a reader into the story. The lead photo was separated into four different kind of photos. I guess I don't even know what to call it. It's like a bit of a collage, I guess. And it wasn't just that they had photos of her car and her clothes. They had captions underneath it. Her $100,000 car, her designer clothes, her Instagram photo shoots, her sprawling estate. Mm. What I find interesting about this as well is that we have an article focusing on Phoebe Burgess's wealth. Where is the article focusing on Sam Burgess's wealth like why do we want to talk about the fact that Phoebe Burgess has money right now even the lead to the story the very first sentence her marriage to retired NRL star Sam Burgess may be in tatters but that hasn't stopped Phoebe Burgess from living the wag lifestyle the wag lifestyle implies that Phoebe Burgess is only rich or wealthy because she had a wealthy husband And I resent that fact and I resent that inference that we should be talking about a woman's wealth one week after she submitted a 50-page affidavit about alleged violence to police. Like, why is this a story? I think we really need to question the Daily Mail in times like this. Why was an editor today or yesterday or the day before thinking we need to write an article about how Phoebe Burgess lives her life and the clothes that she wears? Even the quote, the former journalist 31 who reportedly walked away with 70% of the marital wealth after divorcing Sam currently lives at her parents' Southern Highlands estate with her daughter Poppy 3 and son Billy 1. Like, let's not beat around the bush here. The Daily Mail is implying that Phoebe is a gold digger and a hoity-toity woman who shouldn't complain about what her marriage was like, perhaps. 100%. I think the absolute point here is, like, why the fuck is this story running now? I mean, why is this story running at all? But why is this story running now? I mean, another line that absolutely riled me up was Phoebe, who has more than 81,000 followers on Instagram, typically spends her day uploading sponsored posts for fashion and beauty brands. She makes up to $1,300 per sponsored post, according to a website that estimates influencers' earnings based on their followers followers and engagement levels. This sense that she is stupid. I think Mm. the inference is that she's stupid and she's rich because all she does is silly little stuff like uploading silly little photos of her silly little clothes and her silly little car. And I really do want to get down to what the point of the article is because it feels like to me the only picture they're wanting to paint is that this is little rich girl crying poor or that this is little rich girl marrying a man and taking all his money or this idea that this little rich girl couldn't possibly be a victim or a survivor of whatever she alleges she is a survivor of. How crazy is it as well that Phoebe Burgess is a journalist worked Mm. as a journalist before she met Sam Burgess and is a mother of two children and yet the Daily Mail implies that she spends all day taking Instagram selfies. The way they have dehumanized her and tried to curate this narrative, in my mind, is nothing short of disgusting. Like, I do not understand why this story was written. I do not understand why it was 
commissioned. And what I find particularly frustrating was how the Daily Mail skirted around the domestic violence allegations against Phoebe's estranged husband. So instead of saying he has been accused of violently slamming his body into her while she was heavily pregnant, we got this line. Sam formally stood down from his coaching role at the South Sydney Rabbitohs after claims about his marriage and wild lifestyle were published in The Australian. The NRL and New South Wales Police have both launched investigations into the allegations. The lawyer acting for Sam Burgess, Mark O'Brien, has strongly denied all allegations. It is not until the final paragraph that we see the words domestic violence or that we know that those allegations pertain to domestic violence. Instead, they're just characterised as a wild lifestyle and claims about his marriage for the entirety of the piece. It's really interesting because when you shot me this article on the weekend, you also said to me, I wonder, we're recording this on Sunday afternoon. You might be listening to this on Monday, the day that the episode goes live. And you said to me, I wonder if anyone will cover this this weekend. I wonder if anyone will notice how fucked up this article is and will cover it in a newspaper. And the saddest thing of all was like, of course not. Like nobody's going to cover this. This is not a story to them because it's so normal to paint women in the center of stories like this in the way that they want to, in the way that it kind of alleges that they are silly and not that credible and airheads it's this sense that they're kind of like messy airheads that I really detest and Mish one of the saddest parts about this is that this article like I say is not in isolation because on Sunday morning another article is published on the Daily Mail this time about Rosie Jacobs who is the ex-wife of Channel 9 weatherman Steve Jacobs now before we actually get into what that Daily Mail article said I want to tell you why Rosie Jacobs is in the news Rosie Jacobs is in the news because her ex an ex-AFL player Matt Scher is facing sentencing because he has pleaded guilty to assaulting her. He broke into her home on the day that they broke up and assaulted her. I think the allegations are that he jumped into her bed, he tried to hug her and hold her. And I think you have a few more details on how kind of aggressive the break-in was. Yeah. So according to a statement of agreed facts, Matt Scher arrived at Miss Jacobs' Bronte unit and tried to let himself in using his key. However, he was stopped by a security latch. He made his way onto her second floor unit by scaling a security fence, damaging it in the process before getting in via a balcony screen door that had a faulty lock. After repeatedly banging and pulling on the door, he caused the internal lock to fall off and let himself in. He took off his shirt, climbed into Miss Jacobs' bed in the middle of the night and tried to embrace her by putting his arms around her. So the story on Sunday morning that landed on the Daily Mail led with this headline, the bottle and the damage done, harrowing inside account of the booze-sodden world of Rosie Jacobs and her split from TV weatherman Steve as she denies claims of infidelity and drunkenness in messy breakup with her new lover. Their lead was, Rosie Jacobs was on the rebound from a fling with a Canadian commando after the breakdown of her marriage when she fell for four former AFL player Matt Scher. The pair met via a dating app in June 2018 and their relationship progressed quickly with Scher moving into Jacob's apartment in Sydney's eastern suburbs by October that year. Rosie and her TV weatherman husband Steve Jacobs had announced the end of their eight-year marriage seven months earlier. Why is this their opening line? Of course, because Rosie Jacobs, they say, has been in two relationships in seven months and that's exactly the place they want you to start when you're thinking about this story. Yeah, she's promiscuous. She's out and she's dating and she's sleeping around is the inference that they're making. And then the second inference they make in that story is what a good guy Matt Scher is. Before we talk about the fact he broke into her fucking apartment, we get this line. Scher says while living at Jacob's Bronte apartment, he welcomed his new role, helping the children with their homework and taking them to and from school. 
like positioning him as what a good guy. Like he took on this responsibility as a step in, do good a dad, and they'd only been together for a few months. And by the way, immediately after we tell you that, let us tell you that Rosie was seeing a psychologist and receiving help for substance abuse, as if that is an excuse for a woman having her house broken into by a man that she broke up with. Like, what the fuck are we doing? Like, what world are we living in where this is an article published on one of the most popular news publications in the country and no one says anything? Like, these poor fucking women, these poor women who have potentially been abused and again we'll say the abuse allegations have in some cases been denied particularly in the first story that we covered potentially been abused and now have to deal with the media outwardly trying to trash their reputation as rich slutty deserving of abuse women like it's disgusting I can't get my head around it I can't believe that this is the media that we have in this country yeah it's sickening and it's embarrassing like it's a huge embarrassment on the state of our media in the in this country that this is one of the most widely read websites that we have I mean buried so deep in this story so so deep in the story was this line Scher's version of the couple's relationship is contained in an affidavit tendered to Downing Centre local court where he will be sentenced for assaulting her on January 10. So we get all of this shit about what he alleges about her without actually explaining the reason that this is coming to light is because he's pled guilty to assaulting her. I also found this line pretty fucked too, Mish, if you'll allow me. While initial <laughs> public attention was on the assault, an unwanted bear hug or cuddle, Scher's affidavit concentrates <sighs> on Jacob's, her mental health and drinking. So not only an are we painting, cuddle. yeah, not only are we painting this woman as completely messy with a million issues we're also insinuating that her allegations of assault aren't worthy of being allegations of assault even though they're sitting in the fucking court and he's pled guilty so clearly something untoward has happened because it was a unwanted bear hug or cuddle i can't believe this was published in 2020 i genuinely cannot believe this was published in 2020 am i naive for being shocked i don't know like i don't know when we were preparing for this episode i just couldn't stop myself from repeatedly texting you and being like this is so fucked Like, how is this the case? And part of me wants to name and shame the journalist behind these stories. But the other part of me also knows that when you are a junior journalist, which I'll give these two the benefit of the doubt, and maybe they are. I don't think one is, but yes. You don't decide what stories you write. You get given stories by your editor, and sometimes you have very little power over how that story is crafted or how it is top and tailed with headlines and images and I guess how the tone comes across. But I also think this issue runs far deeper than two Daily Mail journalists. Like this is embedded in the fabric of what is the Daily Mail, that they love to hate women. And this is a website built off and profiting off misogyny. They love profiting off women and making us hate ourselves, making us hate each other, making men doubt us, making allegations seem frivolous and silly when perhaps they have actually threatened the safety of someone's life. And one small thing that people can take away from this is that I think the Daily Mail is egregious and I think they're disgusting, particularly in these two cases. But thank God they're the minority. There was a report from Our Watch that recently found that the number of media reports that victim blamed women for their assaults, their rapes or violence against them was decreasing. So only 15% of media reports have victim blaming in 2020. I mean, 
the irony, of course, is us saying only 15% because our bar is so fucking low. Like, this Mm. is the shit that we come to expect. These articles are designed Mm. to erode the credibility of women who allege terrible things have happened to them. And I can't believe how blatant it is. It's not even trying to hide it under innuendo or inference. It's it's not at all. They are painting these women as if, like I said, they are messy or as if they have ulterior motives or as if they are just silly women with silly hobbies and silly lives. This is just one weekend too. Like we said, the story on Phoebe was published on Saturday. The story on Rosie was published on Sunday. We cannot underestimate how journalism like this creates and pushes public narratives. Journalists say they're impartial, that they're just reporting on a story. They're reporting on an affidavit. But stories like this are designed to bury certain details and hero others. They are biased. They are sexist. They are dangerous and are in direct opposition to our fight in this country to take domestic violence and abuse seriously. A 2017 article on the ABC, Mish, reported that a study from the University of Melbourne, which was commissioned by Our Watch, found clear links between media reporting and how the community views the issue. The way the media frame their news stories, who they talk to, what information they include or don't include has been shown to have a pretty potent influence on how the issue is interpreted by the public. That was from co-author Annie Blatchford from the Centre of Independent Journalism. Our Watch CEO, Mary Barry, said the way that journalists frame individual stories can have a major impact on public understanding. Blaming victims for violence inflicted upon them, for instance, still happens in one in six articles about violence against women. I know you said, Mish, that that stat is going down, but it's so incredibly high when we recognize how much influence the news has and these narratives have on our public perception of what a victim or survivor looks like. Mm. It's an interesting dilemma, I think, for you and I, Zara, one that we haven't really come to a conclusion on in that the Daily Mail is such a stain on our society, but it's also such a prominent part of pop culture, So I'd love to sit here and be like, we'll never talk about the Daily Mail again or we'll never put them in the quick and dirty. But the reality is, is that the Daily Mail is what people are so often talking about. So I think the best thing for us to do right now is to never link to the Daily Mail. Like, I don't want people to go and read this. We will try and give you the information so that you don't have to go and read it and you don't have to support them in advertising clicks and revenue. But... I don't think it's realistic for us to say we'll never talk about them because if we never talk about them, this stuff goes unchecked. How many people are going to talk about this? Like, I think it's important as two people with a platform now that we've built over the last two years that we do continue to talk about the Daily Mail and that we're just careful in the tone with which we discuss them. Because I know a lot of listeners reach out saying, please don't talk about them. They're so bad for women. Just ignore them. But it's too late. Hundreds of thousands of Australians click on this website every single day. It's too late. If we just pretend they're not going to exist, they're just going to continue to publish bullshit and they might never be checked on it. Yeah. And it's bullshit that has a direct impact on our public conversations and our public perceptions, like I say, of issues as serious as domestic violence. So I agree with you. It's it's horrendous, but it's also never going to stop us from calling this shit out. And I guess if there's one thing that's worth reminding people now is that anytime you see a story like this, anytime you see a story that is directly framing a woman or a person of colour in a certain way, have a really good think about the story that they want to tell you and the facts that they're burying, the facts that they're burying deep in that story and the facts that they're trying to hero because I think that tells you a lot about the story that they want to tell and the narrative that they want to create. Yeah, and also ask yourself why is this relevant? Why is it relevant what Phoebe Burgess is wearing right now? Who cares what fucking car she drives, given what she has allegedly been through over the last few years of her life? Who cares 
that Rosie Jacobs potentially had a drinking problem once in her life. Does having a drinking problem or a substance abuse problem mean that you deserve to have someone break into your apartment in the night? No. Ask yourself, why is this relevant? Why are they positioning this so high in an article and burying other details so far below? Because often the answers are quite ugly and it might help you direct which publications you want to support. Yeah, I think that's bang on. Hey, I think that is all we've got time for today. Thank you so much for listening. As always, if you do want to support the show, like we always say, just click that follow button on Spotify. And you can come and find us on Instagram. We are at Shameless Podcast. Mish, is there any last minute late episode plug you want to do? No, I'm looking forward to Thursday, guys. I hope Uh, a lot of you picked up on that clue. I think a lot of you will. It is a banger episode and we are so so excited to share it thanks so much guys bye oh hi it's annabelle lee and louis hansen here we are your hosts of everybody has a secret Woo! Woo! we are here essentially just to let you know that we drop episodes every week now every damn friday morning we are in your ears that is so exciting what a time <laughs> to be in your ear holes so essentially <laughs> each episode we unpack the real life secrets of our listeners so this is for everyone who loves you know just a little bit of gossip in mm-hmm. their lives which let's be real annabelle is all of us. It's absolutely all of us. Don't lie. You all love gossip. So if you want to listen to our show, please do head to your favourite podcast app and listen now. See you there. Bye.